We're finishing up a two-part series on the coming Messiah. There are notes to this sermon in uh, your bulletin if you want to follow along. Uh, I kind of realized as I was doing this, first of all, excuse typos uh, on that. I was uh, recovering from a dental surgery when I wrote a lot of those notes. Um, I'm not one who uh, makes a lot of lists in my sermons. I'm not like a points kind of preacher, but some sermons just are. And so this one, I was like, okay, there's sort of six things I want to say about recapping the sermon last week. And there's six things I want to say about uh, how Jesus is the Messiah and six things I want to say. And so it tickles me to death that the outline of this sermon is 666. But uh, you have it there so you can follow along. And uh, we're just going to jump in. I want to recap because I'm building a lot on last week and not everybody was here or not everybody remembers. So I want to get you into it, but you can follow along uh, in my notes, right? So I want to start recapping last week. Six important things I said last week that set up this week. Number one, we talked about this big problem. The problem is in the Old Testament, if God is good and powerful and we are God's chosen people... Why does the world seem so broken? Actually, this is the same problem we talk about a lot today, right? right? If God is God, then how come this happened? If God is God, then why am I going through this? If God is God, then why is our country doing this? Right? There, there's this question of, okay, if God's God, and we're loved by God, then how come? There's, a, there's sort of an explanation. So for Israel, how do we end up as slaves? Why do the Philistines push us around? How can Babylon destroy us? And it's the job of the prophets to interpret those kind of questions. Okay, they get messages from the Lord. So, so what, a, what a prophet actually means is someone who gives message concerning the present. It's a lot more about the present than the future. It's more about, hey, what are we going through? That's what prophets really are talking about. What are we going through? How is God going to answer what we're doing? And so some of the words they would use would be a word like Messiah, but the word Messiah is really just a word for anointed one. That's what it means. And so in the Old Testament, there's lots of Messiahs. A bunch of the kings, several prophets, a bunch of the priests were anointed by God. That's what it means. It just means oil. Okay? It's actually just oily one. That's really how you can translate Messiah. Oily one, because they were ones anointed by God. Sometimes physically anointed by oil. Sometimes it's a metaphor just to mean that God's spirit was poured over that person. Okay, so, so they're looking for this. Uh, they, they, they have this word, Messiah. But, but when the prophets imagine how God's going to fix the world, the Messiah piece, like who, is really kind of fuzzy. What they're really talking about is a world, the big picture. The prophets, first and foremost, are envisioning a new world. A period more than a person. A messianic or anointed an oily time more than an oily figure. That's what they imagine. There's, there's, there's got to be a time coming when the lion can lay down with a lamb. Right? When, the, when the, this, the Babylon won't be so tough. The Philistines won't be around. And the Egyptian won't be, make us slaves anymore. They're imagining this time. Okay? Everybody see that? That's the most important thing. They're, this time. This kingdom, this new world order has got to be coming. Now, along the way, they get glimpses of an anointed one to bring the messianic kingdom. They get these little pictures where they're like, okay, but if it's going to happen, God's probably, he anointed people before to fix problems. He's probably going to, God's probably going to anoint somebody to fix the problem in the future. And that's kind of fuzzy for them. 
you read in the prophets, they're, they're kind of fuzzy about it. They don't quite understand how it's going to work, but they're like, God has got to use a Messiah. He's got to use an anointed, an oily one somewhere. Maybe it's going to be a prophet or a priest. Maybe it's going to be like Moses. But the, the main thing that dominates their idea is David. Because David was the, the king when Israel was at its peak. Okay, he was the, the king. He was in charge when it was at its best, at least in their view. So they get these little glimpses. So how do we understand it? Well, last week I gave you this image. And I put an image on the front of the bulletin. So look at the front of your bulletin. See that mosaic picture of Jesus? That, I think, is a good way to think about how this works. The prophets are prophesying for their time. They're given a message from the Lord for when they're around. Maybe that's at the time of David. Maybe that's at the time later when Babylon is coming. Maybe it's after the exile when the prophet. But they're giving God's message from the Lord in their time. So it's kind of like they get a little stone. They get a little piece of the picture. And they can't see the whole picture. They can only see their stone. But what happens is when Jesus comes and they look backwards, it's like that mosaic picture. It's like, oh, oh, no, there's Jesus. I can see how Jesus was in the background. It's not so easy in the other direction. It's not so easy for them to see Jesus. But remember in the story of the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, Jesus, it's, we're told, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures the thing, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So what Jesus does after his resurrection is he goes back in the whole Bible. Moses and the prophets, that's the whole Old Testament. And he says, hey, I was here, and this is about me. This is a little stone that's part of the picture, and this points to me. But you see, he had to go back and do that because they didn't understand it in the moment. We can see the picture now. And the first century can look back. And what's happening in your New Testament, you go to your New Testament, they're making this argument. Hey, all this stuff about Jesus, all all this stuff in the Old Testament is actually about Jesus. But what's the problem? The problem is why they have to make that argument to begin with. Why, if they had the prophets, couldn't they tell it was Jesus? Well, it's really hard. It's really hard to see the whole picture when you only got one stone. You only got a couple stones. It's like doing a puzzle, but you don't know what the puzzle looks like. You ever do that? You ever, look, you ever done a puzzle and you don't know what the puzzle looks like and so it goes crazy? But if you have a copy of the picture, if you have what it should look like, then you can go back and be like, oh, that's a dolphin tail. Now I know what that is. Okay, they have the picture. Once they have Jesus, they can go back and retell the story. And that's what you're, they're doing in your Old Testament or in your New Testament. They're going back and they're retelling the puzzle with the picture of Jesus in mind. So let's look at six ways that they do that. Six ways that Jesus is shown to be the Messiah. First, in his birth. In the birth stories. This is one of the big arguments. You're going to hear it at Christmas, so I'm not going to belabor it. But Jesus was born with many connections to the Messianic expectations. Especially, he was born as a relative of King David. Okay? He's born in Bethlehem, which is where David's from. We have genealogies that tell us he's related to David. Okay, he even goes to Jerusalem and is proclaimed by somebody there to be important. Okay? He's also kind of a new Moses. I mean, he goes to Egypt and then comes out. There's a lot of arguments that are being made in the Christmas story about Jesus being this Messiah. His baptism. So he kind of he, he lives his life till he's about 30, and then he goes, he's baptized by John. Well, you think about it. What does Messiah mean? 
anointed one. Here's Jesus. He gets baptized and he is actually anointed from heaven. Not just by oil, not just by water in the Jordan River, but what happens? The Spirit of God descends like a dove upon him. And a voice from heaven saying, says, this is my son in who I'm well pleased. This is Jesus' anointing. You understand that? He's the Messiah. Not just anointed by a king or a priest or a prophet. He is anointed by God himself from heaven. That's the major moment. And for heaven's sakes, no other anointed person is called my son. His teachings. Jesus focused on announcing a new kingdom called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Remember what the prophets are waiting for. What are they waiting for? A new kingdom, a new world. And so Jesus walks around all the time telling people, hey, this is the new kingdom. This is the new kingdom. And what's it like? Well, I'm going to tell you a parable about that. The kingdom of God is like a, a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like this, like that. He's trying to announce this new kingdom. He's teaching it all the time. And, and his kingdom is funny. It's backwards. The last are first. The first are last. The least are the greatest. In his death, in the Easter story, you can see some huge indicators of him being the Messiah. First, his trials. They're all arguing, is he the Messiah or not? It's the whole discussion as he goes to the cross. Is he the Messiah or not? And then to taunt Jesus, what do they do? They put him in a purple robe. They hang him on a cross, but with a crown of thorns on his head and with a label, a sign over his cross that says, Jesus, King of the Jews. And so, yeah, it's, it's kind of ironic, right? But actually, even as he's going to the cross, there are all these indicators say, no, 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 he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. Number five, in his resurrection and ascension. Jesus isn't just a martyr, everybody. Like, if he was a martyr, it'd be a neat story. We have lots of martyrs. Jewish people had martyrs. Christians have martyrs. But Jesus isn't a martyr story because it didn't stop there. He's resurrected. See, see plenty, of, plenty of anointed ones, plenty of those messiahs of the Old Testament, they got killed. They all died. Jesus didn't stay dead. He defeats sin. He defeats death. And when he is ascended and accepted by the Father at the right hand, then you know, oh man, he is the one. Okay, David doesn't get to sit at the right hand of the Father. Okay, Moses doesn't get to sit at the right hand of the Father. Elijah is not there. That's something special and unique. The mission of Jesus is affirmed in that moment. And then his title. Jesus is called the Christ. Christ is a word for oil. That's what it is. It's the, it's the Greek version of, of Messiah, of anointed one. It's just a term for oil. Actually, it's in, in, in the New Testament, it's interesting, by the time of Paul, in Paul's writing, he almost always calls Jesus, Jesus Christ. It's almost like a last name. I want you to know there was no last names in those days. Okay, you don't have Mary Christ and Joseph Christ, and they have Jesus Christ. Okay, Christ is a term, but it's so associated with Jesus by the time of Paul, it's almost like a last name. He is Jesus the Christ. And Christ is a term, Christos is an oil. And it's kind of an interesting oil, believe it or not. Okay, in those days, they had really good oil. The first press of the olive, that was the, we, we would call it extra virgin olive oil. It's the best press. There's a word for that. It's called pistos. Pistos oil is the best oil. Christos isn't pistos. Christos isn't the best oil. Uh, Christos is actually the everyday oil. The everyday oil. You know what Christos is? 
It's Crisco. How I many of you cook? You cook with all extra oil and olive oil, but you've also cooked with Crisco. Crisco it comes in a big tub. You just lather it up if you got to use it, right? It's, who cares about it? It's just Crisco. Okay? Extra virgin olive oil, you're a little more careful. But, but, but it's Crisco, you just lather it up. It's the everyday. And so isn't it interesting that they chose Christos as the term for anointed, as if Jesus is the everyday lather it up Messiah. Okay, he's the everyday person Messiah, not the special extra virgin olive oil Messiah. See, so the term even helps us understand what they're doing with Jesus in the New Testament. And so you can see the New Testament authors making this argument, right? Okay, he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. But, but what's the problem? They, they still are having trouble getting it. They still are having trouble getting it. Part of it is they look at things from their own perspective. Okay, If you were a people that were oppressed by the Romans in fear for your life, if you were in poverty... What kind of savior would you want? A nationalistic political one, right? I want a king that's going to kick out the Romans. That's what I want. And you know what? When I go to read my Bible, I would look for the prophecies about a king that I would want. See, very often, this is just true in life. A little life principle here. Your expectations make a big difference. Okay? If you, ever, you, you all have known parents that had really high expectation of their kids. That their kids could never possibly live up to. And so they were always disappointed with their kids. Has nothing to do with their kids. Has everything to do with their expectation. Or parents that have no expectation for their kids. And their kids run wild. See your expectations change your relationship. So what are you expecting from God. That makes a huge difference of how you relate to God. I think God should fix all my problems. Good luck. right? That's going to be a hard relationship with God. If you think God's going to fix all your problems. Because that's. Not the God that I understand to be. Your expectations make a difference. And so for those people in the first century, their expectations make a difference. When Jesus comes, he's not the Messiah they're expecting. Now, it was all there in the Old Testament. But, but in some ways, they were all picking and choosing. They pick and choose the verses that seem to fit what they want and what their experience tells them. But in other ways, Jesus surprises them. Jesus is not the Messiah they are expecting. Let's look at a couple, six ways that Jesus is surprising. First of all, Jesus brought about a different kingdom. Jesus' kingdom doesn't work like it's supposed to. Small is big, big is small. Last is first, first is last. Power is weakness, weakness is power. It's weird. It's weird. He has a very different kind of kingdom. It's not a political kingdom, not real nationalistic. It's actually pretty kind to Samaritans and other people. Even at the end of his ministry, there's a great line in Acts 1. Jesus has come. He is about to ascend. It's like wrapping it up, everybody. He's like there. He's about to give the Great Commission, his last little speech. And somebody pipes up and says, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Lord, were you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Like, even his followers. Like, this is more than the disciples, but it's not that many people. And they're gathered for the ascension, and, and they, he says, somebody there is like, hey, are you now going to restore Israel? Yeah, that's not the kind of kingdom he has. That's not the kind of kingdom he has. Surprise number two is related. Jesus wasn't a king, or a prophet, or a priest, really. I mean, he's from the lineage of David. Some of the stuff he does certainly sounds like a king or a prophet or a priest. But the reality is, in any kind of official capacity, he wasn't a king. Okay? Nobody around called him the king. 
Okay, nobody confused him. Like, maybe he's the president. Nope, he's not the president. Okay, he's not in any kind of position of power. Actually, he was just crucified. He's in a position of no power. He has no power in Israel. He has no power in Rome. In fact, he avoids power. There's this great line in John 6. After Jesus feeds the 5,000, it says this. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him and force uh, to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So even when they wanted to make him king, he's like, no, not that kind of king. Even after feeding the 5,000, this big group of people want to try to make him king. He's like, nope, that's that's not the kind of king that I'm going to be. Surprise number three is he's more than a king. This was another thing they weren't expecting. They were looking for a Messiah, maybe a king. What they weren't ready for was the divinity of Jesus. This threw a lot of people off. Threw the Pharisees off big time. His trials going to his cross are a lot about, do you really claim to be God and from God? They weren't ready for the divinity of Jesus. John lays this out. Jesus is the word. He was the word before all creation. And he comes into the world. He's light in the darkness. But what does John say? The world didn't know him. His own people don't receive him. Why? Because he's not actually, uh, because he's from eternity. He's divine. They don't expect him to be God. They can't wrap their mind around that God would be a Galilean fisherman. That's really hard for them to understand. Surprise number four is the death of Jesus. If you're thinking of a powerful figure, you know, the person I want to vote for, the person that gets killed, right? No. You don't want a weak person. You, you don't, you're not expecting the Messiah to die. That is not in the game plan. Now, there are some things in the Old Testament that seem to suggest that he should. Um, you can look up later for yourself. Isaiah 53, talking about a suffering servant. Psalm 22, which Jesus quotes on the cross, seem to have a lot of references that are, that are fulfilled in the crucifixion. But the cross isn't in the plan. Okay, it's an odd idea for death to bring life, for torture to bring healing. The, the cross is a huge comprise. Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.23 calls it a stumbling block. Like people want to believe in Jesus, but the one thing they can't get over, they keep tripping on, is crucifixion. Like this just doesn't add up. How can the Savior, the Messiah, the promised one die? Surprise number five, the now and not yet. One of the biggest challenges, think about those words of that guy in Acts. Are you now going to bring the kingdom? Now? Is it now the time? Here's the hardest part about the Jesus story. Is Jesus doesn't bring it all. He doesn't bring it all. They expect it to be all at once. The Messiah comes. The new world enters. Everything is made right. The weird part about the Jesus story is this gap that happens between Jesus inaugurating it and then when it actually gets fulfilled. We're still living in that gap, right? We're still waiting for Jesus to come and fix the world completely. They, they weren't ready for the two-part system here. And Paul has to sort of help them deal with that because a lot of Christians get confused. We still get confused by that. And we still want God to fix it now. And for some reason, he waits and we don't understand. Surprise number six. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But if anointed, if Christos, if Messiah means... Ones who are anointed, who are oily because the Holy Spirit is upon them. Then there's a really interesting twist that happens in Acts. When God's people, when the followers of Jesus are anointed to carry on the plan. Remember how I said 
that the, that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in his baptism. That's his anointing. Well, think about, think about Pentecost this way. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. Right? Actually, here's what happens. You and I get anointed. You and I get anointed. We get filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's our job to continue the work of Jesus. This, this was an unexpected twist. Another surprise. Isn't it amazing how surprising Jesus can be? The first century missed him. And I am amazed how often I miss him. Like how often Jesus is actually at work in my life, in my church, in my community. But I'm so narrowly focused on what I expect him to do that I miss him. I miss him. We're too blindly caught in our own experience, in our own times, and in our own needs, just like the first century. And so Jesus is at work, but he's not at work the way we, we want him to or think he should do or expect him to. So my question for you today, as we're thinking about this, a couple things come to mind. One is, as we're heading into, heading into Christmas here, and you're going to hear this Christmas story actually in so many of our hymns. So many of the Christmas carols, so many of the scriptures we're going to read, you're going to see all this stuff about the Messiah. And so I want you to sort of cue in on that this Advent. Start thinking about what were they expecting, what am I expecting? And uh, as we think about Christmas coming, we're also thinking about Christ coming again. So, so I hope this, this captures your imagination a little bit. I hope this helps you to, to kind of see how the Bible fits together a little bit. But ultimately, I, I hope... That you take a look at your own expectations of Jesus. Do you see Jesus as a past figure or somebody alive in your life? Is he alive or is he distant? What do you want God to do in your life? And uh, what if he wants to do something else? Are you okay with that? Don't be surprised when the kingdom doesn't work like the kingdom of this world. Don't be surprised if he doesn't save you with power and position but chooses a more humble way. Don't be surprised when a big part of understanding more about Jesus is understanding the cross. Don't be surprised when you find yourself dreaming of and hoping for another world that is coming someday. We all should be longing for that world. And don't be surprised when God chooses to do work in this world through his anointed ones, like you. That maybe God is going to do work and he's going to save and he's going to heal this world, but he's going to do it through you. May God show us how he is coming into our lives all the time. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.